Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into Full Power, where we lead men in ardently pursuing a loving God. So thankful to have Pastor Joby Martin in the studio today, pastor of Church 1122 and a recent new author. So we're going to chat about his Jesus story and his new book coming up here in a second. Stick with us. Pastor Joby, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, welcome to Full Power. That's good to be here. Yeah, man. I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad we got through those technical issues. I'm glad you had some super smart people on your end to help us figure that out, so we could hang out for a little bit today. Yeah, it's definitely not me. I, I don't. I just, you know, I just talk. That's what I do. Hey, man. Hey, man. We all got our place. We all got our place. It's good. Hey, um, so for those of you who don't know, Pastor Joby is a uh, pastor of Church 1122 down in Florida, and uh, he's a new author, so congrats on that. Your book dropped on the 8th, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, February 8th. Very cool, very cool. So uh, welcome again to the show, and uh, hey, if you don't mind, do you mind uh, praying us in? Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you more than anything because you love us first. Lord, we thank you that uh, we are your image bearers. Uh, Lord, we know that we live in a world that's just crazy right now. And uh, one of the great attacks is on your image as men. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be able, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, be able to stand up and act like men and be the kind of men that you have called us to be. Lord, I pray for this time together. I ask that um, that you would bless it, and it would be a blessing to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. I, 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 we don't want to give away all your book because we want people to buy a bazillion copies, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about you know uh, how Jesus got a hold of your heart and uh, how all that unfolded in your world. Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in the South, so I, I would have considered myself a Christian, just like most good old Southern boys do. But I believe in God about like you believe in uh, SEC football and Santa Claus, you know. <laughs> and then uh, in high school, through a series of events, I found myself uh, working at a camp, a summer church camp, cutting the grass and picking up trash and stuff. <clears throat> and it was there that uh, our counselors reenacted the crucifixion of Christ. And so I had heard that, you know, I'd heard Jesus died on the cross for me, but somehow, man, that night, that last night of camp, I was, I was transported to first century Jerusalem. And when Jesus pushed up on his nail pierced feet and said, it is finished. then I believe somehow that counted for me. And my football coach was running the camp. And, uh, after singing about 13 verses of just as I am, he came up and said, I think there's one more person that needs to ask Jesus into their heart. And mm -hmm. I thought, there's no way I'm getting in front of all my friends and doing any of that. And then moments later, I don't even remember standing up. Somehow I levitated down to the front and <laughs> told Coach Lee that uh, that I believe. And yeah. so that night I confessed Jesus as my Lord. I wasn't looks came after me. And then <clears throat> a few years later, I was on staff at that camp. Uh, really just like as the lifeguard and in charge of the work crew, that kind of thing. And it's where I ended up teaching my first Bible study, preaching my first sermon, all those kinds of things. And it was, what, uh, it what was kind of went through your God, mind when you, when you did your first sermon? Was that like, 
Was that crazy for you or pretty natural or how, how'd that go down? Man, I was just standing in the back of the room uh, and Coach Lee leans over to me and says, hey, Joby, when the singing's done, you're going to preach. And I was like, what? Like in two minutes? And this was <laughs> this was back in the day. We didn't have worship like we do now. It was just different. You know, we had yeah. like a slide projector. We had to keep the words up yep. there. We were singing, I am a C. I don't even know if you're old yep. enough to remember that. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, well, Coach, I'm not real comfortable speaking in front of people. And he said, boy, boy. Do you think Daniel was comfortable in the lion's den? Boy, do you think Paul and Silas were comfortable in prison? Boy, do you think Jesus Christ was comfortable on the cross? And I was like, no, I don't. And then I said, well, what do I talk about? And he said, boy, that's easy. You talk about Jesus and talk about 30 minutes. And so there you go. That's what I did. I, like I just it. walked up there, and turned to John three sixteen, and shared. And then uh, when I got done, he said, boy, when you teach the Bible, I see two things happen. I see you come alive and I see them come alive. And I was like, well, that may be, but I'm never going to work at a church. Mark my words. And then mm. now here I am. Yeah. I've pretty so, much been doing that thing since that moment, just preaching. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, my first, uh, I guess, connection with you, and obviously you wouldn't know it, but uh, I go to Biltmore, and you come up and speak for Pastor Bruce every now and again. So uh, I've heard yeah. you speak, and, uh, you know, not to not to give you a big head or anything, but I, I do love sitting under you and uh, uh, the way you talk about Jesus and the, the Word of God. It's just a uh, uh, real clear, authentic way of communicating. And uh, you know, just want to continue to encourage you in that and uh, keep it keep on keeping on, my friend, with that. And uh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, well, you have a great church and a great plan. Pastor Bruce is a a real mentor to me. He really is. He he's he's fantastic. Um, I need to uh, I need to try to get him on the show here. We've we've had his son Tyler on and uh, and all mm -hmm. that, but uh, yeah, he's he's fantastic. And uh, you know, my wife and I've been going there for I think probably about twelve years. So uh, you know, uh, love sitting under Pastor Bruce every week, and when he's gone, love sitting under you, uh, uh, Clayton. So t oh, tell me about that. So now y'all are cousins, right, Clayton King? <laughs> yeah, y'all found that out randomly or <laughs> yeah. something, right? Yeah, just recently. I mean, well, a couple of years ago, I, and I had never met Clayton. I mean, I'd heard of him, you know, obviously. I mean, he's a nationally renowned speaker and evangelist and all that. And so always been a big, you know, fan of what he does. And then and heard it, a bunch of people were like, man, you need to meet Clayton King. You guys are like the same person. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, maybe that'll happen one day. And then one day he just texted me. He got my number from somebody. He just texted me out of the blue. And he's like, hey, bro, who's your granddaddy? And I'd tell him. He goes, yeah. man, we're cousins. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I mean, he was adopted as a kid. And when his parents passed away, you know, he went on this journey to kind of figure out where he came from. And we're from the same, like our, I think it's like our great granddads or brothers or something like that. So, uh -huh. yeah, that, that's cool, man. Have y'all, have y'all ever, um, spoke like at the same event or the same church service or anything like that, or just. No, but he's preaching at eleven twenty two this fall. So, but no, we never have. We've, we've always, I mean, we're in very similar, you know, like streams, but we've never been at the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Cool. Cool, man. So I'm curious, uh, cause, uh, it's, it's kind of been, uh, in my mind to maybe, maybe generate a book here at some point. So for me and all the other guys that haven't done it or thinking about doing it, tell me a little bit about that. Cause it, it sounds kind of scary. <laughs> Yeah, well, I probably I thought the same thing. Um, 
you know, kind of way the evangelical machine works, right? Like you plant a church and if it grows, you get invited to do all the conferences and stuff. And then immediately they're coming after you like, <laughs> when you're going to write a book. And so yeah. I'm going into my 10th year as lead pastor here at 1122. But I always wanted to, I mean, you only get your first one once. And, and I, I wanted to make sure that the Lord had given me something to say before I ever tried to write my first book. And yeah. and not only that, the process by which you got to go through to write it, I didn't necessarily love that. So, well, one of the things I talk about a ton here at our church is the, really the title of the book, If the Tomb is Empty, Anything is Possible. And I find people over and over and over coming to me in ministry, and they're like, Pastor, I'm in an impossible situation, an impossible marriage, or I've got cancer, or I'm in an impossible financial situation, or whatever the thing is. And over the years, I found myself just digging in and saying, are, are you a believer? And they'd be like, yeah, I am. Okay. All right. So you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. I do. And then on the third day was resurrected from the grave. They're like, of course. I'm like, All right. Well, if you believe that, then surely you believe that God is in control of all things. Right. And then one day it just fell out of my mouth. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. That's right. And then, right. so what, what we did in the book is, um, it's really a study of the character and nature of God and how he shows himself on different mountains in the Bible. And so we start on Mount Moriah and we go all through seven mountains back to Mount Calvary, which is actually the same mountain. It's Mount Moriah. Very mm -hmm. few church people even know that. <clears throat> and, and we just, but the whole thing points to this mountain, Mount Calvary, that holds a tomb that can't hold a body. And so it all just points to the gospel. And so um, there's a, friend of mine at, at the church who's a deacon named Charles Martin, and he's a New York Times bestselling author, one of my best friends. We bow hunt whitetails together all over the place. And I asked him to help me write this. And I mean, the terminology that folks used to use was a ghost writer. But in the kind of in the skeptical age that we're in, every time a pastor writes a book, I just wanted to just let everybody know hey, we were going to write this thing together. So what we would do is we'd go into the woods during deer season. We'd hunt together. <clears throat> Our church has a retreat center up in South Georgia, build a big old fire, sit in one of the cabins. And basically I would just download to him all the content. Mm -hmm. And then he would help me take it from stage to page. Yeah. And he also knows what he's doing in regards to like publishing and, you know, all the things that I don't know anything about. Yeah. And he's been at our church for like eight years. So he's been listening to me preach. So he knows all the stories and all of that. And so I would download the content to him. I basically just preach to him one on one. Yeah. And then he would say, all right, well, tell me the one about when your dad saved the dog or the one, of you know, that kind of stuff. And then I would just preach it. And then, you know, here it is now. The tomb is empty. Anything is possible. Yep. By me and my dear friend, Charles Martin. That's cool. But man. that's that it, man. That's, that's super cool. I, I know, uh, you know, uh, I can kind of hear and connect with you that, uh, uh, definitely wouldn't be an easy journey to go through. So I get that and, uh, not, not to give away all the, the goodies in the, uh, in the book, but, uh, I think, well, actually I, I, I have to kind of blame you for something. So you made me cry on the treadmill at the gym, which made me look very unmanly. <laughs> I, I, I made the mistake of reading the, uh, the story about your, uh, strip club ministry and, uh, oh, yeah. and man, that, uh, that tugged on my heartstrings. Do you mind just sharing that real briefly for everybody? 
Yeah, for sure. I was in um, I was in seminary, and in the summers I would go. Well, this particular summer I worked in Myrtle Beach, in North Myrtle Beach, and I had three jobs. I worked at a gym, I waited tables, and I was like a part-time youth pastor at a church about forty minutes inland. And uh, that church's idea of the reason they exist was to be like a safe haven and harbor for all the good Christian folks to just stay away from this evil world. Well, when I was sitting at the gym, um, I worked the tape. I worked like the front desk. I'm going to make the shakes and stuff, you know, and let people in. <clears throat> well, the guy that owned the gym, he went to the strip club that was across the street in North Myrtle Beach, and he told all of the dancers, "You girls can have a free membership over at our gym." Well, from a business standpoint, it was brilliant because they all showed up at like ten thirty or eleven, and every dude in Myrtle Beach was there <laughs> shortly after. Right? Oh goodness, yeah. <laughs> and look, man, I'm a youth pastor at a church. So when they first start coming in, I thought, oh, no, what is happening here? You know, and then what began to happen over time is um, I, I would preach at that church on Wednesday night for our youth group. That's like 25 kids. So I would just get my Bible out on the front desk and just use that time to work on my talk. And over time, these girls would come and sit at the counter and 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 they began to become real people instead of a category of people. Yeah. And I learned all kind of stuff about them. Um, almost all of them had children. None of their kids knew what they were doing. They all had two names that none of them wanted to even do this. And they just felt trapped because of the money was so good. Right. <clears throat> and so we got to know each other mm -hmm. and, uh, and they didn't have a category for me. I was like a 21 year old Christian bodybuilder that wouldn't go see them at their work. And they just <laughs> didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I would share the messages with them because I figured, Hey man, if, if, if this message, if these strippers can get it, then surely my high school kids can understand it, you know? And I don't know if that's a shot at either group, but whatever. It just seemed like it was a good thing to go over. And then, so I'm just sharing the gospel with these girls. I would share an invitation to church, and then one day this girl goes, I'll go to church with you. And then I thought, uh-oh, I don't know if my church is ready for this, you know? This little, little country southern church. And so... um I mean, they would get on me, like, if, if I didn't wear a coat and tie as the youth pastor, like, if I just had, like, you know, khakis and a collared shirt, they were like, nope, you got to have a tie. I was like, all right. So, anyway, so this girl uh, named Sunshine comes to pick me up in her convertible white Corvette, <laughs> and me and her and her daughter go to church that day. And long story short, the church just didn't treat her well at all, man. The stares, the comments, and, and man, she, um, when she showed up that day, she honestly, I'm sure she put on like the nicest dress she had, but she looked like a stripper in a sundress, you know, she just mm -hmm. did, man. And she was heavily invested in her career, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so we come walking in the door and you could just kind of hear the gasp. And, and then after the serve, I was like the announcement guy, you know, that's what they'll let the part-time youth pastor do. So I do the announcements. <clears throat> and then the deacons call me into the pastor's office to say, why are you bringing somebody like that in here? And I tried to, you know, I, I said a couple of things and then they said, this place exists to keep our kids away from people like that. Well, I, and the saddest part on my, I mean, I was a coward really. And I just bowed. I didn't, I didn't fight back. I didn't stand up for her. I didn't stand up for the good news of the gospel. Um, I just bowed to the, to the power brokers and walked out because I was afraid to lose my job. And so I get to the car and she's leaning against it and she's got these Ray-Bans on and 
her tears are just flowing and she goes that meeting was about me wasn't it and i lied i was like no nah, man no nah, they talking about something else and i was so ashamed and so we get in the car again i'm driving she's in the passenger seat there's not even a back seat for her kid her kid's like sitting on her lap coloring a picture of jesus that she got from sunday school and so on the way back i just i didn't know what to say so i just said so what do you think about church and sunshine looked at me and said I've never met, felt more humiliated in my entire life. And bro, she the night before she's dancing for on a pole in front of strangers for one dollar at a time. And yet she walks in to a church with Jesus' name on it and she felt more demeaned. And she let me know she recognized a few faces too, because that's usually how it goes. And so it scarred me, man. It really did. I I I do what I was supposed to do for the sake of the gospel in that moment. You know, I mean, if this is John chapter eight and they bring in the woman called in the act of adultery, I'm standing there with a rock with the rest of them because, because I didn't stand up for what was right. <clears throat> and so God, I, I just was always like, Lord, if I've ever got a chance to do about that, I would like to. And so when we launched the church of 1122, I tried to tell that story, story annually to just let, Folks know this place is a gospel movement, and it's a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And every single time at our church I share that story, there's somebody that comes up to me, some young lady, and she says, I am in that same position. And we swoop in to help help them be able to make different decisions. And now we have a ministry here um, where, where these women go into strip clubs all in and around Jacksonville at about four o'clock on Fridays and just feed the girls. They bring dinner. They hang out in the dressing room. <clears throat> the reason they go at four is because that's like when the when the day shift and the night shift overlap so they can meet with all of them. We build relationships with them and just let them know that um, they'd be welcomed at our church. Yeah. And we try to have the attitude. We try to have the same posture Jesus did in John 8 yeah. when he said, who condemns you? She looks around. She says, no one. He goes, neither do I condemn you. Right. Because therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So first and foremost, we want to lead these girls to Christ Jesus and let them know that the enemy is going to try to define them by their past and their scars and all their sin. Yeah. And yet Jesus is saying through the cross, you get to be defined by my scars. Yeah. So there's no condemnation. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes, now leave your life of sin. So we're not saying that it's just like, just keep going down that road. Nah, man. No, no, God loves you way too much to let you keep doing that. So, yeah, that, that was a real defining moment for me, and it shaped 1122 for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely picked up on that, um, you know, in the book and everything. And, um, you know, I, I, kind of with that, I, I really, um, from a structure standpoint, and I'm sure this is uh, some you and some Charles, I, it was really cool how you took the narrative with, you know, the seven – uh, mountains, but you also intertwined your memoir throughout it, like your story, mm -hmm. um, your, your trip to, um, the Holy land and stuff like that. So, um, obviously great book, um, highly recommend it. Um, but man, uh, well, we got a little bit of time here. Tell me a little bit, um, you know, you, you've been in ministry a while, you've kind of seen some things, done some things. Um, tell me, what what would you say are either one or a handful of key things that Christian men are really hard up against in in today's world? 
um, it's amazing how much things have changed. I've been on church staff. Next year will be 30 years. And it's just really amazing. Uh, manhood is under attack. Yeah, I mean, it is. From, from the gender craziness that's going on yeah. <clears throat> to the idea that every man is somehow toxic. And an attack on males or females, an attack on gender is an attack on the character and nature of God. I mean, when God said, I'm going to create image bearers, he says, male and female, he created them. And he did not create us to be the same, man. We are not the same. Yeah. And so, um, and you've seen different iterations of it in our society over the past, you know, it's kind of decade by decade. Uh, really, a decade ago, a man was just a joke. If you think about every sitcom, every movie, every TV show, the dad's an idiot and the hamster saves the day. Give yeah. me a break. Now it's really shifted now from now you can't take dad serious. Like everybody loves Raymond, but he's an idiot. Yeah. And now it's shifted to if dad is just a man, then he is evil. He is toxic. That is dangerous. <clears throat> and um, I mean, it's a brilliant move of the enemy yeah. because the Bible tells us that we are to stand up and act like men. And that means that we are to image the character and nature of God in a different way than women uh, reflect the character of God. Not better, just different, that we are to complement one another. And that means that we are to be the prophet, the priest, the servant king, the provider and protector in our, but it's not just in our homes, in our churches and in our society. That is our role. And our culture has flat rejected that. What, what would you say to, uh, you know, um, average guy out there tuning in today, um, that I, I kind of call them slow faders, you know, our, our culture sets us up to, uh, um, you know, fade into obscurity in our manhood without us even hardly even realizing it. Um, what would you say to the guy tuning in today that man, you know, he's just kind of let his headship of his home. He's let his. Uh, you know, like you were saying, he's an image bearer. Um, he's just kind of let his identity fade away. Uh, I know a lot of guys struggle with like socially acceptable medication, like binge watching Netflix or, you know, a workaholic stuff like that. What would you say to that guy that's kind of in that world right now? Well, it seems like we've, the pendulum has swung way too far the other way. So if we, if 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 the middle of the road is God telling us to stand up and act like men, right? Yeah. Which is to be mature, everything you do be done in love, to stand firm. I mean, this is what Paul tells the Corinthians. He he gives a recipe for this is what it looks like to to act like a man. Well, for for decades and decades, millennia, men have have really flexed with this kind of false machismo as if being a man is about like how big your truck is or how many guns you have or how tough you are, or who you can beat up or how much you can drink or how many people, the women you can sleep with or whatever. Okay. So for sure that needs to be repented of. That is not how Christ tells us to love and serve. But then the pendulum swings all the way from a on this one side to abdication where guys are just trying to get along with their kids and their wife. And it's nothing but abdication. And if you think about it, the original sin, Maybe it wasn't even Eve, right? It's the husband standing there. The, the Hebrew says elbow to elbow with her, letting a serpent talk to his wife 
and he just abdicates and doesn't step in and just do his job. Yeah. So again, this doesn't mean like, because one of my most downloaded sermon series um, is a series called Act Like Men, um, which may be a book uh, coming. And oftentimes what gets us in so much trouble is we, we either abdicate responsibility and we just think, you know, I'm no different, or we or overreact to it in like an abusive kind of attitude, like you will listen to me because I'm the man, that kind of thing. And then Christ sets a totally different example and empowers us with the Holy Spirit to be the men that he has called us to be. So the first thing I would say is if you want to stand up and act like a man, it begins with bowing your knee to Jesus. You don't know how to stand up and act like a man until you bow your knee to the God man who not only demonstrated us for us what it looks like to love and lead and sacrifice, but he's not just a good example for us to follow. But then when you surrender your life to him, he puts the spirit of God inside of us to then cultivate in us the ability to pull off what he's called us to do. Yeah. And that's the lead. That's the love. That's the sacrifice. So I, um, oftentimes, like I invited to do like Miz a lot because of because of that series I did, and it can almost sometimes it can be a dangerous thing, right? You get you get the thousand men in a room and you get a little oh going, and then they go home and your wife's like, oh no, have you been to a men's conference? But really, Christ would call us to love our wives like He loved us, to love and discipline our children like the Father loves and disciplines us, to be for sure to be bold and to fight against darkness. But oftentimes, they're supposed to be tender with, and the people that were supposed to be tough with were tender with. Mm. And so you got to learn how to be tender with your family and tough for them and not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Uh, That's, you know, I I think, uh, I think we definitely, uh, the enemy's just kind of going after men. um, And, it's, it's a domino effect. You know, you alluded to it, you know, when, when we let ourselves get taken out of our responsibilities as men, you know, our, our families, uh, fall victim, our churches fall victim, our communities fall victim. And, uh, so I, I couldn't agree with you more, just the significance of, um, really pressing in and taking ownership and, you know, digging into the word and finding, finding truth of, uh, all the examples that Jesus gave us on how to be, you know, a biblical man and, uh, and to lead in that capacity. Um, so to, to do a, a little bit of a, a sidestep 180, I, I didn't realize that, uh, you mentioned that you were actually a bodybuilder. Did, did you actually yeah, compete back ago. in the day? Tell me a little bit about that. That's yeah, cool, I did. Man. I did about, I think I did 15 shows or something, 12. I don't know. I did it for about 15 years. Yeah. Before before kids. Yep. So I started when I was twenty. It was just something to do. You know, I I, I think it's really good to have a hobby that's not church if you're a pastor, you yeah. know, something you can throw yourself into that steals your mind away. So yeah, I competed yeah. for a while until my son was born and then I just the time commitment it takes. Yeah. It it just wasn't you know, I'd rather be a good dad than have big muscles. Yeah, I, I hear you and I agree. And uh <laughs> You know, I think I think the uh, maybe the balance there, if that's the right word, is uh, you know the fact that spiritual health, physical health, you know, emotional, social, intellectual, 
making sure that, you know, as guys, we, we focus in on being well-rounded and, uh, you know, um, there's seasons of everything, you know, like you said, especially with bodybuilding. I mean, you, you borderline have to be like super selfish because you got to eat, you know, not borderline. (laughs) It's total self-absorption at the end there. So, but what you're saying is absolutely right. Think about it. Uh, this guy comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And he quotes Deuteronomy six, the Shema, uh, Shema Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And that doesn't mean like number one on a list. That word echad means like the paper on which you would write a list. And then he says, and like, when you see God for who he is, you shall love him with everything you got, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this bro, you know, a bunch of men and physically they're crushing it, but spiritually they're babies. You probably know men that are the other way too. Like relationally, they're awesome, right? Mentally, they're brilliant, but, but physically they are not stewarding what God has given them. They're not going to be able to do everything God has called them to do. And so Jesus says, the, the number one thing you can do as a human being is love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, it's also interesting to me that there's only one verse that's from 12 to 30, right? And it's Luke 2.52, and it says this. It says, so here's a young man, here's a boy growing into a man. <clears throat> and it says, and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in wisdom and mind, in stature and strength in favor with God, soul, spiritually, and with man, heart, relational. That the mm-hmm. one verse about Jesus when he was a young man is that he was fulfilling the greatest commandment, which was to love God with all. That's good, man. I I, I love, again, I love sitting under you and, and hearing you teach, man, because uh, you unpack scripture in a way that, uh, you know, a lot of things that I just, I, I gloss over or miss. So I, I appreciate that, man. That's good. Um, I tell you what, um, kind of to, to bring us to a little bit of a conclusion. If there were one or two nuggets of wisdom that you've kind of gathered along the way um, that you would say is just super key for guys to hear um, and to really press into, what, what would you say those little nuggets of wisdom might be? I would say in, in our society, the key to manhood for Christian men to influence this society it's not to beat our chest and say we are men and God gave us dominion. Nah, man. It's to dress yourself as a servant and serve. So the greatest leader of all time, Jesus, John 13, to show the full extent of his love to his disciples, did not preach another sermon, didn't do a miracle. He could have made everybody float or something cool, but he doesn't. He dresses himself as a servant, washes their feet, and then tells us he set us an example. At home, it's to love your wife like that, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, Uh, what did you call it? The slow fade. So the slow fade guys that are just kind of abdicating the responsibility, the deal is not to just roll back in your house after one podcast, like making decisions for everybody. The deal is to walk in, dress yourself as a servant, take the lowest job at your house because you are the man. Um, I challenge men this way. You want to lead at home? Start with this. Just be the lead repenter. Yeah. Just start there. Just be the first to say, I'm sorry. And start with, I'm, I have abdicated my responsibility, you know, to your wife and kids and just let them know I, I have been a peacekeeper and not a peacemaker. And so I, I'm going to go first, repent of the things you need to repent of, 
and then serve. That's good, man. That's good. Um, so, uh, one last question for you. Um, something that, uh, uh, is really significant to, to us in our ministry is, um, accountability and just kind of like generational manhood, like one generation pouring into the next and then subsequent. Um, tell me a little bit, uh, just in closing of your experience with, uh, you know, the power and significance of accountability and, uh, just one generation pouring into the next. Yeah. All right. I'll give you two things. Peter gives this big warning, right? He's like, be careful because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking one to devour. Well, if you've ever seen the animal planet, which one is the lion going to take? He's going to take that isolated one. So the three most dangerous words a man can say is, I got this. Because, bro, you ain't got this. First of all, you need Jesus. And then secondly, you need some. Ba- you need a band of brothers around you so that when you stumble and when you fall, they say, get in the middle of the herd and let us take care of you so you don't get picked off. <clears throat> so that's one. In, in regards to... There is, it's more than just wisdom to get up under the authority of some elders in your life. And and they don't even have to be like official elders of the church. But man, if you look at, just read through Paul's letters to Timothy with those lenses on. Remember, um, Paul says that he remembers the tears of Timothy when he laid his hands on him. Maybe he's talking about back in Acts when Paul gathers the elders together of the church at Ephesus and lays hands on them. And then one of the things that Paul says to Timothy, because I don't know about you, bro. I've got a board of elders here that love me, that protect me, that lay hands on me and pray for me. Um, That when the enemy throws a bunch of fiery darts, they're the brothers holding the shield of faith around me. And when those men, me and I respect like crazy, man, when they lay hands on me and they look me eyeball to eyeball and and they speak life into me, when they say, you're a good man, you know, you're doing a good job, bro. I think that's what Timothy's crying about. Yeah. When Paul says, I remember your tears. <clears throat> and then of all the things Paul says to him, God leads him to say this. He says, Timothy, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind or self-control. We need, especially in this age, we need a generation looking at the upcoming generation and reminding them fear is not a feeling, bro. Fear is a spirit that does not come from God. Scared is a feeling. So get scared, no problem, and then and then continue to walk forward. That's called courage. Praise God for courage. <clears throat> but fear, fear is demonic. Fear is a spirit that does not come from the Father, and fear paralyzes. But if you're a believer in Jesus, he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So take that spirit of God in you into your home don't be afraid of your kids. Don't be afraid of your wife. But by the power of the Spirit, love them and serve them. And it's hard. Uh, manhood cannot be bestowed upon from one boy to the next. It takes a man to bestow manhood on another man. And so a major problem we have right now in our culture is that we try to bestow manhood on each other. And it's a bunch of boys just playing. It's just the toys get bigger. The games get bigger. We're, we're one of the only cultures in the history of humanity that does not have a rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. It's something I'm working on with my 16-year-old, mm-hmm. and I started uh, when he was 14. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's there's discipleship stuff we do together. There are trips that we do together. The trips get exceedingly harder with it. every year he gets older, you know, probably going to end with some big elk trip or something like that. And and something to commemorate him so that he can know as he's he'll probably go to college. So as he's going off to college, there'll be some things where he can mark that moment and say, all right, for four years, my dad poured into me. I mean, obviously his whole life, but specific to what it means to be a man. Because I want him to be able to mark it when he walk, when he says, okay, now I'm a man. Now I am responsible for being prophet, priest, servant, king, provider, and protector of whatever dominion God has given me. So at first, it's going to be a little corner of a dorm room at some university, right? Or maybe he goes to trade school or maybe he goes to the military, whatever it is. And then as God gives him greater and greater responsibility, hopefully he'll be able to step into that as a man and understand that as he does that, that is how he is reflecting the character and nature of God as a man. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, I'm glad that uh, I got to hear that from you because that's given me some ideas. I've got a, uh, a four-year-old boy. So a few, year, few more years right. before he goes through the, the rite of passage as a man. But uh, that's really not anything that I'd ever uh, specifically thought about. So I appreciate you sharing that that's what you're doing. And um I think I'm probably going to do something very similar for my boys. So that's, that's fantastic, man. Um, uh, so anything else you want to share or anything else on your heart that, uh, I didn't get to. Nah, man, I would just say thanks for what you're doing. Speaking in the life of men, we need yeah. it for sure. So keep it up, bro. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray over us uh, and then we'll close things out. Heavenly father, just thank you so much for this time being able to hang out with pastor Joby, uh, Thank you for uh, what he's doing in his family, uh, what he's doing in ministry, and uh, just uh, ask that you put protection around him and his family as they continue on to serve you. Um, just ask that uh, um, you continue to uh, take us and all the men that are tuning in and uh, continue to sanctify us, continue to uh, grow us into the men that you're calling us to be. Um, help us to uh, stay strong against... Um, falling into comfortable patterns that uh, don't ultimately glorify and uh, uh, bring your kingdom uh, in advancement. And, uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, you keep us focused on mission and uh, that uh, you help us uh, lead our families, uh, lead our boys. Um, and uh, we just trust you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All Amen. right, so uh, uh, in closing, I want to do an official shout-out uh, to the book. So. Um, it is, you, you, you got that copy there. You want to hold that one up one more time? I do. There you go. There you go. If the tomb is empty and, uh, we'll put the uh, link and everything in the show notes. Um, I I've already read it. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic book. I really enjoy it. I appreciate you taking the time and energy to write it. Um, and, uh, guys, as always, uh, appreciate y'all tuning in and, uh, have some fun out there. Be safe. Uh, and uh, you're loved, you're sent, get out of here. We'll catch you on the next episode.